This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Hey everybody, we're back. It's a Wednesday night Bible study and we are in the middle of a three-part uh, psalm, Psalm chapter 8, and our we're currently, I'm taking some, just various psalms and studying through them, and they're a lot of fun. But Psalm 8, um, it's three parts. This is the second part, and if you missed last week, you need to go back and watch that one because it'll help you kind of get up to speed on this psalm. It's, a, it's an amazing psalm. But we're talking about God's glory is basically what David is talking about in this uh, eighth psalm. And uh, last week, we looked at certain things that uh, David was probably, well, not probably, I'm sure he was, as a young shepherd uh, out there in the flocks at night in the Middle East, there's no lights. It's through almost 3,000 years ago. So it's very dark. So he looks up at the night sky and he sees the brilliance of the stars. And he begins to talk about it. And he contemplates it. And he starts thinking about these things. And he talks about them here. And he talks about them in other psalms and places about these things. Now, <clears throat> um, he also last week said that... Uh, in the glory of God that nursing infants and uh, they they declare the glory of God they utter his praise from the mouth of infants Jesus uh, quoted back to that and he, we saw that praise and strength and strength and praise kind of equate to each other and that's a really important thing so I'm gonna read uh, chapter 8 verse 1 2 and 3 because we're gonna pick up to verse 3 so here it goes O Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Boy, we had a lot of fun last week with that. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Praise silences the enemy. Verse 3 now. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. Now let's stop right there. Now, <clears throat> he says, when I consider your heavens, when I think about these things, see, here's the point. Thinking about God's creation brings comfort. Wait, how, how do you get thinking about God's creation brings comfort? Let me illustrate this by something that Jesus taught. It's one of my favorite passages to go back to. Uh, you've probably now thought, well, we've done this passage quite a bit. Yeah, it's a very important passage for us because we live in a stressful world, every one of us. Now watch what Jesus says in Matthew 6, and I'm going to go verse 25 to verse 34 because thinking about God's creation brings comfort. Jesus says in verse 25 of Matthew 6, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Boy, there's a mouthful. How many of us worry all day long about our lives? Don't worry about as to what you will eat and what you will drink, nor for what your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Some of us worry so much about these things. But he says there's more to life than that. Now watch what he says. He's going to give you the antidote to these things. Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not worth much more than they? Oh, now he's giving some secrets here. Um, something about worth and value. You need to look at these, these birds. And who of you, verse 27, by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Can you really live longer by worrying? No, proven you will reduce your life by being stress-filled. Verse 20, and why are you worried about clothing? Observe. First he says, look at birds. Now he says, observe. Now he says, look at the lilies of the field. They grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. They're not out there working. Oh, gosh, i got to grow. No, they don't do that. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, richest man that ever lived, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Wow. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And then He says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? Now He makes a distinction. Now He makes a, a separation. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows what you that you need all these, all these things. He knows this already. Your Father in heaven knows this. It's like your earthly Father knows what you needed as a kid. And then he says, this is the key transitional statement to worry. But here's what you need to do. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Huh. Wow. Economies attached to morality. Interesting, isn't it? So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Huh. Here's what I want to tell you. First he says, look at birds. Then he says, observe the lilies of the field. Look, observe. Look and observe. What's he telling us here? Think about the creation of God. That's what he's telling us the antidote is to worry. Think about the birds. Think about the lilies of the field. They're not all stressed out. They're not all worried. And God takes care of all of them. What he's telling us is this. Truth affects emotions. You know worry cups up fast. It comes fast. But truth affects emotions. The truth of what Jesus is saying, the truth of God's Word, it affects our emotions. It always does. Too many Christians live by emotions. Wow, I see it all the time on social media. It's like, that's just a bunch of emotion. Turns into humanism. No, live by the truth of God's Word. Let me add a couple more things about that. Because some people say, well, he's not supplying for them. This and that. Look, let me tell you a little secret here. He says in verse 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. Stop. Why do some people worry so much about tomorrow? Because they haven't made right decisions today. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Make the right biblical moral decisions today. Therefore, you don't worry about tomorrow because God is taking care of it because e e economy is attached to morality. You see, if you do that, and then you add the 34th verse, don't worry about tomorrow, question, who are the only people on this planet that do not worry about tomorrow? 
We're little, little children. They don't worry about tomorrow because they figure mom and dad are going to get the stuff for me. Mom and dad are going to give me what I need. They don't worry about it. So when we humble ourselves like a child, as we learned last week, and we make the right decisions today based on God's word, his moral life, he's going to take care of us in the tomorrow. And then we don't have to worry. And so we can observe the birds. We can observe the lilies of the field and see how God takes care of all that. And we're way more valuable than that. You put it all together. We don't have to live in a worry-filled mindset. Now, <clears throat> David is out there, <clears throat> and he's out in that field. He's looking at those stars. And you have to imagine, I've said it on a Sunday message, I said, you, it's just a sidebar. i got to come back. He's looking at the stars. Here's the thing about those stars. David knows they exist, but they don't know he exists. They're just a creation of God. They don't know he exists. So how could they be? So how could the universe be our creator if it doesn't even know we exist, but we know it exists? It couldn't give us a conscience. Just a sidebar for it. Now, going back to um, verse 3, <clears throat> David, of Psalm 8, David, he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. When you can't sleep, turn your thoughts to God. Where do you get that out of that, Jim? Well, he mentions the moon and the stars. Doesn't mention the sun. So what time of the day do you think this is? Nighttime. <laughs> it's nighttime. Nighttime was made for rest time. Nighttime was made to relax and your mind's not filled with all the stresses of the day. So the question is, what if I can't sleep? What if you're a person or I'm a person, I just have trouble sleeping at night. I, think about God. Come on, no, no, come on. No, 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 no. You want to fall asleep? Read your Bible. <laughs> if you want to fall asleep, read your Bible. I guarantee you, Satan's going to start in your head going, poppies, poppies. He's going to want you to go to sleep. He doesn't want you reading that. I, start reading the Bible if you can't sleep, and he's going to leave you fast, my friends. Watch this. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3. <clears throat> Having to do with peace at night and stuff like that. Verse 21 to verse 26. He says, my son, he's talking to all of us, let them not vanish from your sight. What is them? You have to back up in chapter 3 and you find out that them are the commandments and the teachings of God. Don't let the commandments and the teachings of God vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Verse 22, so they will be life to your soul. I like that. And adornment to your neck. Then, then, then you will walk in your way securely. Ah, oh, don't you want to be secure in life? And your foot will not stumble. Oh, I like that too. Verse 24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Oh, yeah. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Oh, yeah. Do not be afraid of sudden fear. That's instant fear. Things that come upon you fast. How many people are gripped by fear quickly? 
nor the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. There are evil people in this world. For the Lord will be your confidence. The Lord will be your confidence. And will keep your foot from being caught. <clears throat> okay, let, let's, let's talk about this. He gives me sweet sleep. If I keep the commandments and the teachings of God close to me. If I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He will give me peace and He will give me good sleep. And I won't be jumping into sudden fear. Sudden fears. How many of us scan the environment? We're always looking for the next thing to go wrong or something's going to happen. Stop it. Stop it. I mean, you're supposed to walk securely because you're living in that lifestyle of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness first. David looks up at the stars at night. Can you imagine? Oh, let me speculate on something here. He has to wonder how powerful, how strong, how big God is that night after night after night for years as he's a shepherd boy, those stars and that moon stay on track. God keeps them on track. He keeps them on course. And if God can keep those things on course, He can keep your life on course. Seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. Do that. Walk in the teachings and the commandments of God. Do that. And watch God keep your foot from stumbling. Watch your emotions begin to get very calm and you won't fall for the next thing and the next thing because you're founded on the foundation of God's word. There is so much false thinking around the world. It's everywhere. This is solid foundation to keep your foot from stumbling, my friends. Now, <clears throat> David, one of the great things back in, in Psalm 8, one of the great things is he looks up at, at this universe and the more he looks up at it and sees the vastness of it and how big it is, the greater God seems. And the more insignificant he seems. Watch, verse 4. What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him? He looks up at everything and goes, what am I? He's basically saying, I'm just a speck on a speck called earth. This speck is floating through the Milky Way galaxy, which is floating or traveling through the universe. Let me give it a sidebar on that. We're standing on earth. You're a speck. If you stood at the equator, you're traveling at about 1,000 miles an hour on the spin. Right here, we're at probably about 800 miles an hour, just the, the spin of the earth. But that's not where it ends. <clears throat> the earth is orbiting at about 66,000 miles per hour. It's orbiting around the sun, taking a year to go around that thing. 66,000 miles an hour. Our entire solar system, the entire solar system, which is inside the Milky Way galaxy, is circling the Milky Way galaxy at 435,000 miles an hour. 
Why don't we fall off? <laughs> Gravity. <laughs> Gravity. Can you imagine? We know these speeds. David didn't know that. But now you look at the sky and I think, I'm a speck standing on a speck that's just traveling at crazy speeds. It's like, man. And here's the thing. And yet you think about us. God thinks about you. God thinks about me. As vast as it all is, David goes, it's so big, I'm so insignificant, yet you think about me. Yeah, I like that. David um, expounds, expands on this idea of God's thoughts to us and when they even began according to his thinking. Look at Psalm 139. We talked about this a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning, but it's a good refresher. Um, Psalm 139, this is David in the womb, retracing back to the womb. He's given us some great insight about God, that God is with every child at the moment of conception. It's a fact from verse 13 on, but we're going to look at specifically verse 16, 17, 18, because this is the part that connects to God thinks about us. Watch this. In the womb, verse 16, Psalm 139, your eyes... Talking about God. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. In other words, God, you have my life mapped out before I've even spent a day of existence. Life begins at conception. Verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O oh God. How vast, the thoughts, how vast is the sum of them? How do you define vast? God's thoughts about me and you are vast. Verse 18, if I could count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David's mind is on God day and night the way God's mind is on David day and night. Oh, I like that a lot. <clears throat> now, God thinks about us all the time. But don't we question that? Don't we wonder about that? Don't we say things like, God, do you even know I'm alive? God, do you, do you, even, do you even see me here? I mean, do you see my circumstances? You see what's going on? I don't even know if you know I'm here. I don't think you think about me. Don't we do that? And then what we do is there, then we take a tragic turn. Because now we're, we're, we're basically telling ourselves lies. What we do is we take our circumstances and we base our faith on our circumstances instead of the reality of God. We now walk in the circumstance and our emotions that follow instead of the reality and the truth of God's word that God never leaves, God never forsakes, God always thinks about me. Now, try to, let me try to uh, um, apply this. Let's say you're a parent, and if you're a parent, you know this. You ever, your your nine-year-old comes up and they want something and you say no. And they throw in a tantrum. Left, no, I'm not doing that for you. No. Not, oh, you, yeah, I, I hate you, mommy. I don't care. I'm, you can, no, I'm not going to do it. What if they got up and they went to the room, slammed the door because you wouldn't give them what they wanted. 
And in their room, this nine-year-old, he says to himself, he declares, she declares to herself, my parents don't exist anymore. <laughs> Is that true? No. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. They're right outside the door. They're right outside that my parents don't exist anymore. Why does a child say that? Because a child isn't getting the one thing they want. They don't realize the parents are doing all these other things for the kid. And the parents are always thinking about the kid. That's a good gauge of where you are in your faith, your spiritual maturity or lack thereof. If you're always throwing the tantrums with God, oh God, you don't love me, oh God, you're not there. God, do you even care about me, oh God, this. Because every time something goes wrong or you don't get this or it doesn't happen in your time frame, that just shows you're a little nine-year-old spiritually. It's time to grow up. None of us gets everything we want from God. None of us have problems um, solved at the rate we'd like. None of us does. But I'm going to walk in truth. I'm not going to walk in my emotions. I'm not going to walk in circumstances. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let circumstances dictate my emotions and thus dictate whether God is real or not. I'm not going to do that. The truth of God is that He thinks about me all the time, that if I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things will be added unto me. I've got to do the right things, make the right decisions, make the godly decisions, that let the truth of the teaching or the commandments of God's word vanish. I've got to stick with it. Let me show you a great, 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 great truth. In a story, in Genesis chapter 28, watch this. It's a story of Jacob. He's on the run because, remember, he's cheated his brother. Oh boy, big time. And his brother, his twin brother, wants to kill him. <laughs> Ever want to kill your brother? <laughs> he wants to kill him. Now, watch this in Genesis 28. This is a great story. But keep the idea of like, oh God, where are you? Are you thinking about me? Keep the idea. Verse 10. Then Jacob departed. He's a fugitive. He's on the run. He's leaving the family. He's going to leave for 20 years. From Beersheba. So he's way in the south of Israel. And went toward Haran. Oh, he's heading east now. <clears throat> he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He used a rock as a pillow. That's tough, man. Verse 12, he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Ah, there's a whole thing we could do on there. Jesus uses this in the New Testament, John chapter 1. But Jesus is the ladder that bridges between God and mankind. On that cross when he died and he shed his blood, he was buried, then three days later rose from the dead, then he ascended later on. Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the ladder. You go back and read John 1, you find him there. It's a great thing. Verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it. So the Lord stand up then the ladder and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, where you're laying down right now. Oh, Jake. I will give it to you and to your descendants. I got all these blessings for you. Now, this guy's a fugitive. This guy has lied. He has deceived. He has tricked. And he's going to have to ante up later on and face up to things because God's not going to bless him just because. There's going to be a moment in time he's got to face up to himself. 
So I'm not going to excuse behavior. The Bible doesn't. Then he says, verse 14, Your descendants shall also be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. In you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth, not just the Jews, all Gentiles, all will be blessed through these guys. Be blessed. That's a huge statement of God. Verse 15. Now this is a dream. It's happening in a dream. And by the way, God is revealing himself to many Middle Easterners in dreams. They're having dreams about Jesus and they're coming to faith. I've heard the stories. It's incredible. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. In other words, I'm with you wherever you go. I'm with you, guy. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. God's going to do what he promises. But there's still, J Jacob still has to repent later on. I'm not going to get away from that. Verse 16. Watch this, watch this. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Wow. <sighs> Jacob thought it was over, man. He messed it up too badly. He's on the run because his brother wants to kill him. He's tricked. He's deceived. He's stolen from his family. His mother was a co-conspirator. And now he's got to get out of Dodge. And then he has a dream and God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do this, 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 this. I'm going to do all these things. Later on, God will face him again at the nighttime at the Javik River and force him to repent. He will change his name from Jacob to Israel, from trickster to governed by God. Because he will have to become a man governed by God to be able to walk in the blessings of God. But this night, he wakes up from the dream and he says, The Lord was in this place. And I didn't even know it. How many times in our life do we feel like, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? No, he hasn't. God is in this place. And we don't even know it. We look at the circumstance. God, what are you doing right now in this world? God is in control. God is in this place. See, I'm going to set my feet securely because I keep the commandments and the teachings of God wrapped around my neck. And you too. See, God is thinking about you. And God has control of your life. And God is there even when you and I think He is not. Okay. Next thought. In Psalm 8, verse 4, the first question he's, David says is, what is man? And then he goes on to say more things. But I want to focus on what is man? Well, let's see. <clears throat> David is looking up at the stars at night, and he says, what am I? <clears throat> he's looking up at creation. He says, what am I in relation to all of this vast, enormous, huge creation? That's what he's doing. What am I in comparison to all that? I'm just a speck on a speck, just flying through the... Okay. What are we? What are you and I? What is man? There's all kinds of statements out there that just aren't true, and they're just not true. They're called kinds of higher education institutions that are trying to teach you every wrong thing about it. The Bible teaches you what you are. 
What is man? What is woman? Let me tell you what you are. I'm going to run through about six quick things here. First off, you are the highest, greatest creation of God. I've told you before that on day six, twice God says, twice it says, and God, and then God said. It says, and then God said, let there be animals. And he makes the animals on day six, but then on the same day it says, and then God said, let us make man. He separates, makes distinction between animals and humans. And he saves his highest creation for the last creation, and that is mankind. What is man? The highest creation of God. Now, <clears throat> what is man? Well, man, look at Genesis um, 1.26. Genesis 1.26, we're going to look at that a couple, three times as we cut through here and there. It says, <clears throat> then God said, let us. Make man in our image. See, Jesus always existed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now stop right there. Now what does that mean? Man, what is man? Man was created by divine consultation. Let us, they're consulting with each other. Let us make man in our image. All other creation, it just, and God said, one simple command, and God said, boom, made animals, made fish, made this, but not humans. There was divine consultation. Let us. That makes you pretty special, my friend. What else? What, else? What, what is man? Well, Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then God, then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became, became, became a living being. Formed, and he became. What does it mean? What is man? Man was formed. Everything else was just made at once. Boom, you're there. Man was formed. There was formation to man. There are elements to man, body, soul, spirit. He was formed. Everything else, bang. The word is said, animals made, fish is made, stars made. Not man, he's formed. What is man? What is man? Genesis 1, 26 again. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Stop right there. What is man? Man is made in God's shape. All other creatures, creatures are not we are made in the image and likeness of God, ladies and gentlemen. That's who we are. What is man? We are made in the image of God. We have taken God's shape. We are the highest creation of God. Never forget that this should give you security. Know who you are. Know what you are. A lot of people don't know what they are. What else? What is man? <clears throat> I like this. Back to Genesis 1.26 again. We'll read a little more. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What? What is man? Man, all the animals, they're all of creation. They were created fit for service and service only. But man was created to rule and have dominion. Yes, we can serve, but we were created to rule and have dominion over all the earth. What is man? We are rulers over God's creation. That's what it was geared for in the beginning. What is man? <clears throat> man has more value than all the animals and everything in the universe put together. Take all the gold, all the precious metals, all the silver, all the, all the everything, all the wealth. And man has more value than all that. What is man? Watch. Matthew 6, 26. Jim, we went there. I know, I just got to read one verse. 
Just one, I got to show you one word again. Matthew 6, 26. He says, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Oh. Yeah. Look at um, uh, Mark 8.36. Mark 8.36. Watch this. It says, Jesus said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What's he saying? That every bit of wealth in this universe stacked up, put together, weighed, measured, find out the value and worth. One person is worth more than all that. What is man? He has more value and more worth than all the animals, than all the wealth of the universe put together. That is man. That is woman. Why? Because we're created in the image and the likeness of God. We're God's highest creation. And because we are, we are to seek first the kingdom of God. We are to glorify God in our lives. That is the utmost, that is the highest call of God. That we are to wrap the teachings and the commandments of God around our neck and keep them from vanishing. And then we'll walk securely. And then we'll have good night's sleep. And then we'll have confidence. Because we'll know who we are in God, what God has said about us, and we won't fall prey to all the false teachings out there about what a human is. We're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. And we'll pick it up. We'll do the third part next week of Psalm chapter 8. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.